All right, episode 178, Fractured Skulls, Terminator Charles alongside Monoxide. We're back again with another new episode. It is January 14th, 2024. We're ready to middle of the... We're already halfway through January. And uh, it's the winter time. It's getting cold now. And how are you doing this fine evening, sir? Snow, snow. I can at least say that. So that big snowstorm that just wiped all over Buffalo. Not Toronto, but Buffalo. Doesn't seem like it's going to be coming here, and if it is, it's going to be the scrapes and crumbs. That's okay with me. Yeah. Like uh, what Cookie Monster said about C being for Cookie, that's good enough for me. That works for me, brother. Yeah. I could see, like, Vince Russo talking about this. The snowstorm coming down here is not going to be a viable snowstorm. It's not. It's not. What kind of snowstorm is going to come down here and be able to take us over? It's just not, bro. I only added one, bro. I I needed to add like five or six more. That was pretty good. I'm glad you appreciate my little Vinnie Rue impression, although I don't think Jim Cornette would take too kindly. Well, on that note, we're going to head right into the news stories. Let's check, check it out. All right. First things first, we're gonna head over to Disney again. <laughs> well, we—it's about Pixar. Pixar will undergo significant layoffs in 2024. As many as 20% of employees could be laid off, but Pixar says the number is still to be determined. And well, the reason for this? What? What was the last Pixar movie that made money? There's a reason. What? What was the last Pixar movie? Period. Oh, uh, the last Pixar movie was it? it was a Lightyear? Oh no, it wasn't Wish. That was animations. Uh, uh oh fuck! I know they. I know they had one last year. Oh, what was that one? The Elemental. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that one had the lowest opening weekend ever for a Pixar movie. Well, the question you asked was, what was the last successful Pixar film, and I couldn't tell you because I think. I could be wrong. I think it was Coco. And when did that come out? 2016. Wow. So Soul didn't win no, over Soul, people? Soul was a Disney Plus exclusive. Oh, okay. Because it is a Pixar film. Yes. That's whoa, a Pixar whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. It says here the budget was $150 million, but the box office was $121.1. So it was a failure. Oh, here's why. Because it came out on Disney Plus in December 25th of 2020, but it was released uh, two days ago in theaters. Yeah, they re-released some films over this past weekend. Fair enough. Okay, so failure is kind of a grandioso in what I just said. So, But yeah, um, yeah, it's funny because earlier today, as of this recording, the wifey and I watched a very top-notch classic Pixar film called Monsters, Inc. Yes. Monsters, Inc. is a top-notch quality Pixar film. Another one we had watched not too long ago was uh, Finding Nemo. Another great one. I like Finding Nemo, but I never liked it as much as Monsters, Inc. I thought Monsters, Inc. was, like, the top of the 2000s. Really? Because, for me, I'm the opposite. I liked I liked Monsters, Inc. I didn't love it. I love Finding Nemo. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I thought the, uh, the casting for... Uh, Monsters, Inc. was just quality. You got uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, 
what's his face, Billy Crystal, John Goodman, Jennifer Tilly, etc. By the way, Billy Crystal was the first choice of Buzz Lightyear. He said no, and said that was his biggest his biggest career regret. Oh, so before um, Tim Allen. Yeah. I don't know. I think Once Pixar came knock on his door again, he said, hell yes, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think he served better as Mike Wazowski. I think he really made the Mike Wazowski character great. I mean, Pixar is also responsible for The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Bugs Life, um, the Toy Story movies. Uh, you, see, you, see, you see, all those Pixar films you just listed were all done during the John Lasseter era of Pixar. Once the, once the Me Too movement happened, people knew it was a matter of time before they're going to go out to John. Because John, in his environment, he's a very... He's a very hug- touchy person. He always hugs people. He's very friendly. In some cases, he can be too friendly. And people knew in that office, once this whole, once the Weinstein thing happened, they start coming after everyone in Hollywood, they knew they were going to go after Lasseter. And long and behold, they went after Lasseter. I don't think his allegations were ever proven, but he got, but long story short, he took a leave of absence from Pixar and sooner he eventually got let go or I think he quit or whatever. And uh, Pixar has never been the same because apparently the story is that as soon as that they let go of Lasseter, some someone in some lady said, "Are we going to put a woman in charge now?" Mm-hmm. And eventually, they put a woman in charge, and they said the place has never been the same. Uh, Lasseter currently works for Skydance; uh, he works for the animation department there. And as soon as he started working there, half of the team that he worked with at Pixar quit Pixar to go work at Skydance with him. That should tell you something. Including Brad Bird, whose whose pet project was The Incredibles, so I don't don't expect an Incredibles three anytime soon. I mean, if they do, they're gonna probably do it without him, unless they so, make some deal to bring him back just for that movie. Let me get this straight: the allegations that were said upon him were they as egregious as someone like Harvey Weinstein, or was it just he hugged me and it made me feel uncomfortable? Uh, I don't think it's that was as egregious as Weinstein, but people. They, it, it was been said that uh, they basically been wanting him, wanting to find a way to get him out. Why? I don't because Lasseter was kind of looked at by a lot of people as like the second coming of Walt Disney. He was very friendly, but at the same time, he is a very he is a perfectionist as well. He has a vision of how he wants his movies to be a certain way. But I mean, look at look at the projects he's produced: Toy Story. Monsters. Everything you just said, every film we just talked about was done under his regime. Did he also do Up and Wally? Yes. Oh, so, all right. So, uh, with all that being said, they would rather cut their nose off to spite their face. Yeah, because I don't know. I don't know. Bob Eager just felt threatened, but Iger felt threatened by him. I don't know. They just did not want him there. It's, I guess they felt like it's just time to move on, and they just kind of need an escape go. I don't know if these, again, these allegations were never really proven they were, and if they, they had any value to them, but Disney just felt like he had an uncomfortable vibe and they let him go. And since then, Pixar has not been the same. And I, I've said that, you know, Pixar is going to, this is going to be tough because now these films no longer have that Lasseter touch to them. And now you're just kind of, especially now with the whole woke agenda, you think Lasseter mm-hmm. was going to bow down to that? Yeah, I highly doubt it, because, as I said, th- those movies that we just mentioned, they're all, like, timeless. 
the Toy Story movie, Monsters, Inc. These are movies that you can share amongst any child and they'll enjoy it. It's very hard. And not just a child. It's not even just children. Adults can like these movies, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's made for all, all agents. Agents. Ages. Each, well, maybe agents would like these movies, too. But maybe they should be focusing more on these fucking people sp- spreading out useless accusations about other people. But the point being is that this movie or this guy who created all these fantastic movies you'd rather cut him out because he makes you feel weird like I, I again i don't know what was said about him or if any of it's true but if let's just say that it's all because he's just a very huggy touchy feely guy that to me is just not a proper excuse to get somebody fired especially somebody who's as essential as he was in creating these classics um, and in fact, that half of the guys left to go with him to the other company mm-hmm. tells you a lot. Tells you a lot the vibe that he created in Pixar. Yes. And then you tell me that now Pixar is still suffering to this day due to the absence of Lasseter. Yeah, it- I mean, their films, I mean, not all of them are bad. I mean, I thought Pi- I'm Pixar. I thought uh, Lightyear sucked, but the last from Elemental, I saw it. That was all right. It was better than Lightyear. But I mean, it's I mean, it's nothing compared to er- everything we just mentioned. Monsters Inc., Finding Nemo. I mean, this isn't. I mean, we're no longer in the prime years of Pixar. Yeah. I Pixar's mean, the, it, yeah, it feels like you know we our childhood was the peak era for Pixar. Yeah, this seems like Pixar's going through the WWE between the year 2006 up till about 2022. That's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah, it feels like Walt Disney animation movies post the death of Walt Disney. We're like mm. in the 70s era, the 80s, you know, the Aristocats era. I was like, eh, it doesn't have the Walt Disney touch to them like the originals had. It doesn't yeah. have the charm. Something's missing. Something's off. Yeah, I, I don't know. If that was their way of just cutting their nose up to spite their face, I was one dumbass maneuver because that would be like... I mean, I know he's old, but let's just say for the sake of argument, he's much younger. That would be like trying to get John Williams completely canceled because he's a very touchy-feely type of guy, even though he created all of these epic themes. And and when I say touchy-feely, I mean like somebody who just hugs people, not somebody who grabs somebody's ass inappropriately, not somebody who grabs your crotch, just somebody who would give you a, a hug a, a, as a way of embracing your presence. And I understand that everyone likes to be hugged or be touchy, and that's fine. I don't know how John, particularly the woman, how he would grab him or touch him, or I don't know if he meant any anything. If he was trying to grope him, I mean, if he did, then shame on him. I, I don't. Again, I don't know. But whatever these allegations were, it was strong enough for Disney to say bye-bye to him. Okay, you know, if he was a problem, well, then you got rid of him. But fortunately, you know, the, the, the quality of these films and, you know, you don't have his, his input. You no longer have his touch and they're going to suffer. Yep. And look where they're at now. And now look where they are. Now they're laying off people. And I don't see it getting any better for Pixar. I mean, with they, uh, Inside Out 2, I believe, is coming out later this year. I liked Inside Out, the first one. I believe that film came out, I think, when he was still during his reign probably the tail end of it 
Another, that's another Pixar film I really enjoyed. Was it the first one? A film that freaking made me cry. Wow, that's saying something because I I don't remember a film that ever made me cry. I I really don't. I don't think there has been. Closest closest may have been the scene in the Pokemon movie when fucking Ash got turned into stone. Maybe, but other than that, no, I I don't think so. That's how heartless of a bastard I can be. I, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. It was how I was, I was raised. Well, that's where Pixar is at right now. And I already mentioned Inside Out 2 is coming out later this year. Um, they announced a Toy Story 5. I mean, I mean, they're, they're getting desperate here. You know, they're going back to their popular franchises. And, of course, Toy Story is, like, is number one. That's the popular one. And uh, it's going to be... I, I have no idea where the hell they're going to go with this story. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I can't really imagine what they could do with Toy Story at this point. They're going to do the Toy Story like what they did to fucking uh, Star Wars. Just oversaturated. Well, speaking of Star Wars... Oh, no. Um, Mihoi Chinoy <laughs> got so much heat on herself, they... uh. They say, all right, look at the shiny keys over here. We got to distract them. Look at the shiny keys. You married a popular Mandalorian series. We're going to make a movie. John Favreau's going to direct it. And I don't know, to me, they just felt so out of left field. But the Mandalorian Grogu movie has been announced by uh, Star Wars. And John Favreau's going to be directing it. So there's going to be your next chapter in the Mandalorian series. I mean, God, I showed you that clip of uh, everyone in the theater reacting to the ending of uh, Rise of Skywalker. The last Star yeah. Wars film. Mm-hmm. And that's just to show you that, you know, they're basically Disney's relationship with their fans regarding Star Wars. The Mandalorian brought some hope to a lot of people. They thought that would, but unfortunately, it was just a temporary band aid because that band aid got ripped right off once they fired Gina Carano. Oh, yeah, because Gina Carano just had the audacity to spout political opinions that if the left did it, it's considered liberating and uh, you go girl and all that shit. But if a conservative does it, oh, you're just nothing but a bigot. Yeah. Did she, what, what was that? What was the one that really got people ticked? Didn't she compare like, being a conservative to being a Jew in uh, Nazi she Germany? Was trying to, she was trying to make a point that for Adolf Hitler to have taken over and be Nazi Germany, he had to convince or make it a way for the Jewish people to think that they're fellow comrades or fellow Jewish people were the enemy. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what she was trying to imply was that liberals are being warped and mentally fucking warped into this idea that the conservatives are their enemy when there's, they're not. We have a common enemy and it's the political people that are trying to make us fight. Yep. Of course, people just spun that as a, oh, you're a Holocaust denier or bullshit like that. It just got ridiculous at that point because, you know, nobody wanted to listen to her at that point because of the the trans thing when she put her uh, preferred pronouns as E-I-E-I-O or no, no, it was Tic-Tac-Toe. Ebo-Bop, there you go. This is clown world that we're living in. Like, I really don't know how we're able to survive in this stupid-ass clown world. Yeah, I mean, and, Star, and the Star Wars brand is in the toilet so bad that there was a rumor that they wanted to bring Gina Carano back. Offer her more money, and uh, she turned them down because she felt like she was selling her soul back to the devil or to the to the to the evil empire. Oh yeah, it's like now they want to make it right when they've realized that they fell flat on their face. 
It's like, no, you made your bed, now lie in it. You decided to fuck me. You didn't want to stand behind me. You wanted me gone because of the message. Now you're realizing that you are a, a victim of that message or you're starting to suffer the consequence of that. Now deal with it. I ain't going to bail your ass out. Same thing with Johnny Depp when they asked him about a new Pirates movie. He's like, I'm probably not going to fucking do it because Disney wasn't there to, to help us. He didn't. They didn't bother to help me. The second that these rumors came out that I was abusive, they fucking threw me to the sidelines. They took me out to pasture and put a bullet in my head. Fuck them. And, and, and with these Star Wars films, it's like, it was clear as day that Disney did not care about the fan service. Now, uh, all right, be perfectly fair. I think somebody said it best, and I agree with them. Nobody hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. <laughs> yeah. It's the truth, man. Like, how many years have you heard people even critiquing the prequels? The prequels were not that bad. I don't care what anybody says. The prequels were not that bad at all. And this is coming from somebody. Keep in mind, I'm not a Star Wars fanboy. Ellie's more of the Star Wars fan out of all of us. I'm not particularly mostly invested in Star Wars like I am in Harry Potter. But I will give the prequels their prop. I thought they were fucking fine. I actually saw episode three in theaters. So I, I really enjoyed it. And that being said, these sequels weren't just bad. They were disrespecting original characters that everybody felt connected to by either contradicting their personality traits or just treating them as completely abysmal people afterwards. Uh, B, they completely contradicted Star Wars lore to death. And on top of it, they sideline quality stories just to send as you put it the message i mean at this rate those trilogy movies the the sequel trilogies they were better off just having jar jar binks take over so they have nobody to blame but themselves at this rate i mean star wars is a destroyed brand i agree wholeheartedly yeah i mean they're they just feel like a, a tv brand at this point because they're doing they're doing more stuff on disney plus and they're doing with their movies and they have announced more films that didn't co go through than films that they actually made. <laughs> Patty Jenkins, Squad, uh, Squad Nation, whatever the hell that was called, or I think they're still going through with their uh, Farouk and Bradshaw's uh, Acolyte show. Farouk and Bradshaw's Acolyte show? Oh, yeah. I remember I announced that they're doing Star Wars Acolytes that you turn into a fucking... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I still think they're going through with that. But yeah. yeah. It's such a dead brand. Where's the hype? Where's the excitement? Is anyone excited for anything? Meanwhile, let me tell you this. Okay, going back to how I said uh, Harry Potter, I'm more into that. I think this was something that you griped about with the Video Game Awards. Like it had been revealed that Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy is the highest grossing game of 2023. Yes, I sir. It, I think it sold more than a billion copies. Or no, a billion dollars, not a billion copies. That's, that's ridiculous. But it made a, more than a billion dollars in profit. I had actually considered, because I had bought the game for the PS4, I actually considered getting it for the PS5, just so that I can see how it... I think the only difference is, is the graphics are better and the load times are quicker. But I would... Dude, the Hogwarts Legacy was a game that I was hyped for for years. And that made me hyped even more for the franchise, to where 
part of me. As we said here, I wrote my own little fantasy series on Harry Potter. So Harry Potter has, or I guess you could call it the Wizarding World lore. That's got more hype going for it right now than Star Wars. But what's the one common denominator that's helping the Wizarding World right now? They ain't gone woke! Not yet. Well, if J.K. Rowling still holds the keys to those damn castles, then let's hope that she still remains the fucking leader, because this is her baby. She didn't... Yeah, is, she's, she's not a political person at all. Yeah. And here's, here's the other thing. She's not like George Lucas, where she's good... Well, to be fair, she didn't direct the film. She only wrote the books. But it's not like she's going out there and going back to those films and adding shit that needed to be added. You could still watch those Harry Potter films as they are, and they're still enjoyable. Yeah, and they're still... I'm assuming they're still going to go through with the uh, TV series, and it seems like that's going to be a soft reboot of all the movies and starting from scrap, from day one again. Which, I guess each book is going to be seasoned, depending how they do it. I don't know yet, but... You know damn well they're gonna make changes to appeal to more of the modern audience. It's guaranteed. I'd be amazed if they don't do it. Yeah, that's definitely. the only thing that's gonna worry me about going in. But the thing is, the Harry Potter films are so popular they don't need to make any more movies. Hmm. Yeah, no, they don't need to. Um. But yeah, as long as we get another Hogwarts Legacy, I'm cool with that. Yeah, you can make games. I mean, J.K. could release another book, but, like, franchise-wise, we're good. Well, if she makes another book, people are going to want that turned into a movie. Yeah. Because, um, obviously, we've got The Cursed Child, but that morally became a Broadway play. That's more of a stage play, currently. Right. Now, that being said, hey, maybe if I get this screenplay written, we can convince J.K. Rowling to make it into a... Because when I ask chat, J.B. We try to get chat GPT. There we go. It told me that because I wrote so much material, it would fare better as a TV series than it would as a movie series. That's how much I've written into this. Apparently, the first chat that I have with it is 600 pages long. Oh, Jesus. That's that's, 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 me? Yeah, you wrote more pages than Dan Aykroyd wrote for Blues Brothers. Well, keep in mind, it's just the the, the pages that I wrote. It's me telling Chat GPT write this scene. Like it got to the point where I'm writing the dialogue. I already know where I want this story to go. Some of it is me saying, "Okay, I need a character. Let's create a character that would be a big foil for this." And then we come up with a name, and either I would be like, "Yeah, let's go with that name," or I think somebody else has already named that. Let's go with a different name entirely. And the only problem with ChatGPT is that you're very limited in the wordage that you can use. So I, even the, for the fact that it's fantasy and it knows I'm just writing a story, it won't allow me to use curse words. Like, even bitch is prohibited. I can't use sex. It's it's for some reason I have to write it for all audiences. But when I get to the screenwriting process, which is going to be a nightmare and a half, it's going to I'm going to incorporate what I want. And and you want to know what the best part is? This is something I came to realize when watching Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, and when I come to realize when it comes to this fucking Star Wars films that we were just talking about. 
You know what the best part is when writing your own story? I don't know if you ever have. You ever watch a movie and you get upset when a character gets killed or a character goes in this direction and this, that, and the other? When you're writing your story, you get to decide what happens. Nobody else. This is your story. Yeah. So being that all the characters that I have written, the great thing about it is that I don't really definitively identify as just one person i feel like a little bit of my personality traits spread out amongst everybody and they're all unique in some way which i can probably explain to you after this call of the differences between all the characters i've written i feel like all the characters are unique but i don't definitively put myself into just one person i can see a little bit of me in this person a little bit of me in this person a little bit of me in that person that's the beauty writing stories when you can see yourself in multiple characters and you're the ultimate decider in who goes where that's the beauty of being a writer for certain stories now that being said not everybody's going to enjoy your story it's your story but and you're not uh, absolved from criticism but i will just say that i think that harry potter has had more of a fan service respectively given to the fans than Star Wars in recent years. I don't see anybody disagreeing with that. And on top of it, I would argue that Universal Studios Orlando really made more Harry Potter fans. Yeah, I would would agree with that. To me, when I went in 2013, the first time ever, and I went to the Hogwarts section, this was before Gringotts even opened. Gringotts wasn't even open yet, or Diagon Alley. Or motorbike ride wasn't even close to a, a, a twinkle in somebody's eye. I went there by the when I went there in 2013, I had only watched the first four films. When I went there, I'm like, yo, I gotta watch the other films. Did became addicted and been a Harry Potter guy ever since. Well, I was, but there was like a period where I took a break. Now, as I'm talking right now, I'm wearing a Slytherin sweatshirt. Now I'm considering buying another one. Now you gotta do is watch the Fantastic Beast movies. That I definitely want to do, but I want to watch it with the wife. I don't want to watch it on my own because mm-hmm. I know she'll want to watch it. And I think they're on Peacock. Yeah, Peacock, the Max. So yeah, as I look at to my wife off camera, that's our next thing: Fantastic Beasts. And then we should go see the Cursed Child and the exhibit in New York. Okay. Yes, I still, yeah, I would, I would love to do that one day. Why don't we just do that all together then? All right, we'll do that. We'll find a date, like a weekend date that we're off. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But yeah, uh, suffice to say, even though we went off on Harry Potter, love you, J.K. Rowling. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars, yeah, not so much. Not so not much. So- yeah, I don't know. And, and the thing is, I should be addicted to Star Wars. I would think that I would be a fantasy writer for Star Wars as well. But it's just, I don't know. I just don't have that emotional connection to Star Wars like I do Harry Potter. Do you have an emotional connection to Danny Phantom? What, that little ghost boy from fucking Nickelodeon? Yes. Um, is there a reason you're asking me about Danny Phantom? A live-action Danny Phantom movie is reportedly in the works at Paramount. Interesting. I didn't know that there was a huge clamoring to see a live-action version of Danny Phantom. Probably be another Paramount Plus movie for the app. Trying to lure more of those nostalgia kids. 
I remember watching the show. I remember it being fun. It was a fun show. Um, it's made by the same people who did Fairly Odd Parents, correct? Yes, sir. I was more of a Fairly Odd Parents person myself. I, I mean, you're not going to see me running out of this damn house being like, yo, the Danny Phantom movie is coming out on Paramount Plus. Let's go watch it together. Woohoo! No, that ain't going to happen. I'm probably not even going to bother watching it. Not because I hate it, just because I don't care. Did you watch that Zoe 102 movie? I have not. That is one thing I would do. I don't know if Wifey would watch. I don't know if she watched that growing up. I think she's three years older than me. So I think by the time that it came out, she was already an adult. I was close to the same age as those kids in the show. So, um, yeah, I might watch it. I'd never watched the iCarly reboot. Uh, didn't they reboot something else on that Paramount Plus? Uh, Blues Clues? Uh, no. I, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I'm, de- I'm definitely clamoring to watch Blues Clues. <laughs> I, w- I want to solve some mysteries. That little fucking blue dog and whoever's the dipshit that fucking writes down the clues and doesn't know <laughs> two plus two. Like Steve. Needed little kids to figure out shit, but yet he can go to college. Fucking asshole. Leaving us, ditching us for college when he wasn't qualified enough to even figure out his own dog's mysteries. Well, our next news story, David Gordon Gree exits from The Exorcist Deceiver. So we've been deceived. The director, David Gordon Gree, he directed the new Blumhouse Halloween trilogy. He directed that this new Exorcist movie that just came out a couple months ago. And he is not directing the next one. I guess Blumhouse thought he would probably direct these next three films as well. Not anymore. He said, bye-bye. I'm going to go do the Righteous Gemstones and some other projects. Alright. Probably because the last Exorcist movie wasn't well received and he doesn't want to ruin his reputation. So he's going to just go do other little things. Realistically, The Exorcist is one of those movies that didn't need a sequel. Never needed any follow-up. I think the first movie told the story from beginning to end and was fine the way it was on its own. Uh, We reviewed The Exorcist Part 3 on here. You enjoyed it more than I did. Uh, We haven't done the second one. I remember you told me it is a pile of monkey dung. Uh, I haven't watched any of the newer Exorcist movies that came out uh, during the new millennium. So, yeah, I really don't see a point in these new Exorcist films other than to cash in on the franchise. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, You know, you make the same argument about Jaws. It was just the, the impact that those films have had, especially in the 70s, how they, you know, and then they just, studio just went batshit crazy with the sequels. Yeah, but how many Jaws movies were there? Four, two, three, and Jaws Revenge. So yeah, three sequels. Yeah, so it's like they, they knew when to stop eventually. They didn't get that memo for Exorcist. No, I and they're still gonna make two more of these freaking Exorcist movies. Oh God! That's what I'm saying. It's like there's no need for them. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't know. It's just a franchise that never needed a sequel. It would be like if Phone Booth, as we mentioned before this call, if Phone Booth got a bunch of sequels. That's a movie we should do one day on Fractured Skulls. But the movie itself, on its own, is fine. To make a sequel, I mean, I guess you could 
to see how you can tell the story even further. Do you need it? No siri bop. No siri baby bop. No siri beep bop. And Rocksteady. Well, on to our next news story. Tom Cruise has signed a deal with Warner Brothers to develop original and franchise movies which he'll star in. He will get an office on a WB lot with his own with his production company. That's interesting. For the longest time, Tom Cruise has been a Paramount boy. Mission Impossible and um, Top Gun are all Paramount. And even he did the Jack Reacher movies. Yeah, all, all his big recent projects, everything's been with Paramount. That's the relationship he has with them. And now he's signing with W uh, Warner Brothers to develop uh, franchises for them. And he's going to get his own office. And he's still doing Mission Impossible. And he's making the next Top Gun with Paramount. He's one of the highest box office stars of all time. Dude, I like, mean... Nobody is on, like, the, the same universe. I shouldn't say nobody, but he's literally in that boat, I would say, that could literally dictate how a movie should go. He's probably that guy that can tell you... I don't want this guy on my fucking studio and they will drop everything that they're doing to get rid of said person. Yeah, yeah, he's that guy. He can make those demands and commands. Now, would he? I don't think so. I haven't heard any. I, I, should, I don't know what his reputation's like on set. I haven't heard any real crazy stories about him personally when it comes to being professional. Other than that clip that came out during the pandemic when he fucking like went off on people and had his Christian Bale moment. Other than that, he's never really had any reputation. You would know better than me of being hard to deal with. Not that I know of. Yeah, so it's good to know that somebody who's of that stature isn't that uh, high strong of a personality. But that being said, I think that this isn't surprising that somebody's giving Tom Cruise all of this, uh, I guess you would say, wielding power, because he's yeah. earned it. Yeah, because I'm trying to think, what major franchise does Warner Brothers have going for them right now? Harry Potter's been gone for over 10 years now. I mean, they tried to do some of the Fantastic Beast movies. The last one didn't do too well. Um, does Warner Brothers still own Batman in some way? Yeah, they still own. Yeah, they got the DCU, the, the the DC movies over the past couple years, and it make them any money. Well, maybe the Batman would be the only one, with the exception of Batman. Yeah, but everyone else, eh, not so much. Yeah, I guess Batman would be the only big franchise player they have going for themselves. I mean, I haven't heard any news of them wanting to expand Barbie. Well, no, I think Barbie was just a one-and-done deal. Whereas Batman, it seems like people have a better idea on how to make a quality Batman film as opposed to Superman, Aquaman, uh, Ding Dong Man, Ho-Ho Man. Yeah, because Matt Reeves is going to get his Batman 2 film, and then that's going to be it with him, and then Batman's heading over to James Gunn. Yeah. They, uh, they, they need that next big franchise. And yeah, it's still going to be a while before we see the uh, the Batman Part Two because that ain't coming out till 2025. Yeah. So yay. I yeah. mean, if they could try to do something with that Edge of Tomorrow film that came out 
fuck, I think that was 10 years at this, 10 years ago at this point. That was a good movie. That's a film, I think, is a film that did all right at the box office, but picked up a huge co-following over the years. Mm-hmm. And that's, and since Tom Cruise is going to be working with Warner, they're hoping that he makes a sequel to follow up to that movie. And I guess whatever other ideas him and his studio come up with. I mean, Universal tried to do something with him in the Mummy movie, and that was a... Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you telling me that that movie had succeeded. They were going to just recreate all the original Universal monster films for a modern audience and modern technology. And because that didn't succeed. No, that film flopped. It's a shame because when we go to Universal Studios and they explain, like, all the details of how they created that woman who dressed up as the mummy character you're like wow you did all that for nothing yeah all that yeah went to nothing went to a crappy mummy movie the first thing everyone went in going in they're thinking it's going to be like brandon frazier film to the point they even said where's brandon frazier and you yeah. saw the brandon frazier's mummy movie right i saw the second one i didn't see the first oh yeah we got to do those eventually Especially when, yeah. once we, before we go to Universal, we'll probably we'll touch upon those. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Warner and Tom Cruise because, as I mentioned, you know Zaslav, he needs that big. You know, franchises is what is what keeps the business going with Hollywood, whether it be Marvel to Harry Potter to those fucking Fast and Furious Transformers. You need a big franchise that's going to, that's going to keep the people coming because that's what really draws the big bucks. Yeah, and um, but the problem is, is that the consumer actually wants transformers, not transgenders. <laughs> Thought I'd let you know. I'm sorry, it, it, it was just there out in the open. I had to say it. You had to make that joke. I had to make that joke. I know. It was a good joke. No, you know what a good joke is. Everybody thinking there's more than two genders. Hello. I know. Oh, before we get we get to our film review, I I saw a couple movies. Well, I saw a lot of movies. I'm not gonna go over all of them. Go ahead. I I saw the Barbie movie. It's mm-hmm. a it's a piece of crap. It's 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 literally it's a commercial movie. That's all it is. It's a commercial film. I think within a year from now or a year whenever it came out, people are gonna forget that it even came out because there's nothing memorable about it. Just for the fact that. Just for that phase, the whole Barbieheimer thing. I mean, I would definitely say I think Oppenheimer benefited from that more so than Barbie. Barbie didn't need Oppenheimer for it to be successful. Mm-hmm. But it was something, you know, everyone went along with it and it worked out tremendously for Oppenheimer especially. But Barbie, it was a film that it's obviously it was not made for me. I was not its audience. I The film nearly, literally, nearly put me to sleep. I had to fight myself to stay awake throughout the whole thing. It was pretty boring. So Barbie, it's 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 a two thumbs down for me. Skip it. Probably one of the worst films that I saw last year. At least I came out 2023. But a good movie that I saw that came out last month, I believe, uh, The Holdovers, the new Paul Giamatti film. It's oh, yeah. a very good, it's a very good movie. I know it's streaming right now on Peacock. It's not a great I don't think it's a great film it's not a film that like stuck with me but it's 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 a good movie it's fine yeah I've been seeing that movie promoted over and over and over again seems like 
on different apps such as YouTube and I can't remember which streaming service, but I've been seeing it there as well. I don't think it's some. I mean, Paul Giamatti he may get nominated Academy for that film. I don't think it's his best performance. I know it's the same guy who did that film Sideways that came out in 2004. Paul Giamatti he's also he also he's also in that. I liked him in that mo- movie more than Holdovers, but. I'm not sure what his competition is going to be at the Oscars, so who knows? He may actually win Best Oscar. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I know he won a Golden Globe for that film, so and he celebrated by going to, I believe, an In and Out, one of those fast food joints. Yeah, well, I guess that's one way of celebrating. Yeah, you we mentioned you mentioned uh, Finding Nemo. Uh, the lead voice actor who played voice Marlon Fish was Albert Brooks. I saw his Diablo Brooks documentary on uh, HBO Max. It was only oh, it's about ninety minutes. It goes over his career. Uh, for the most part, he's at like a at like at a dinner table. You know how WWE films like those dinners for three types things segments. Yes, yes. It's done in that same format, but it's him and sitting across from him is his longtime friend um, uh, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, we review one of his films on here, Misery. Um, he directed this documentary. I thought it was okay. I thought it could have been a lot better, only because some of the talking heads that he got, you know, for this documentary to talk about, you know, Albert Brooks. Like, you know, when you watch an Undertaker documentary, who do you want to hear from talk about Undertaker? You want to hear from Mick Foley. You want to hear from Kane. You want to hear from Steve Austin. All the guys that he worked with. What if instead of those guys, all you got was Kevin Hart? Just talking about how much he watched The Undertaker, how much he loved him. It's like, okay, it's cool that you kind of got a, a fan perspective. But don't let him take up the entire documentary. And that was my problem with the Albert Brooks one. Is that Albert Brooks told a story about how he got Meryl Streep to work on one of his films. Meryl Streep was not interviewed for this documentary. I'm like, well, that, you know, that kind of sucks. I would love to hear from her side of the story how she got involved in this project. Instead, we're being interviewed by Tiffany Haddish, Jonah Hill of all people who's never worked with Albert Brooks, who's just a fan of his growing up. And it's not like he just shows up once, you know, just as I meant, just get that fan perspective. He's showing up again and again and again. It's like, why do we keep hearing from this guy? I want to hear from people that worked with Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks' first film he did was Taxi Driver. Where's Robert De Niro? Where's Martin Scorsese? Let's hear from them what, the, what it was like working with Albert Brooks. None of those guys were interviewed. I mean, he interviewed some people that worked at Albert, but not enough. No Meryl Streep, no De Niro, no, no Scorsese. It was just... I didn't hate the documentary. It was, just, it was just underwhelming. I expected more from it. So I expected you, more talking heads. What you just said reminded me of... When Michael Jackson passed away, they had this big funeral ceremony for the guy. And what they would do is they would play like... a michael jackson's song i can't remember if they just played the song and then it would just go to or i don't know if it was a song or if it was an orchestra that covered the song but um and then afterwards they would get somebody that knew michael (laughs) pardon that would get michael to or get somebody who knew michael personally and share like story and stuff like that and they got a bunch of people, people that worked with him. I, I can't remember off the top of my head everybody that was there. But obviously, they got people that worked with him. Um, 
I think one of his former girlfriends, I think they had gotten Lisa Marie Presley to talk about him and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But then the one guy that came up to talk about him was the controversial Al Sharpton. And I loved, in an ironic sense, his speech because he didn't share one personal story about Michael. He didn't, it's like he never even knew this fucking guy. He just kept talking about Michael's impact on life. And and to be fair, he did have one line that I thought was good that he told um, the kids that were there. He's like, your dad wasn't crazy. What he went through was crazy, but he was not crazy. And I thought that was a pretty good line. But point being is that why the fuck is he even up here? He didn't know this guy. He didn't know this guy from a hole in the wall. Everybody else is sharing stories about him and how nice he was and how generous he was and how kind kind of a human being he was. But then this fucking guy comes along and he doesn't say anything about him. He's just saying stuff that people, a fan could have told you. Like, a fan could have told you all this shit that he said. Oh, yeah, he was this legendary artist. Yeah, I didn't need to hear that from fucking Al Sharpton. So, yeah, I could get that, like the fuck off my TV. I don't need to hear from you. I want to hear from people I worked with. Al Brooks. Yeah. You know, and from one decent documentary to another documentary that I really enjoyed, you know, hearing from a lot of talking heads that have worked with the guy, is the Robert England documentary that came out. Uh, it's currently streaming on Tubi, and well, I saw it on Prime. It's about two hours, and it is very good from beginning to end. All the talking heads, uh, they interview Tony Todd, Kane Hutter, the screenwriter for um, Wishmaster, uh, Andrew, the, the actor that played the Wishmaster himself, you know, he talked about how Robert Englund gave him advice, make sure you have this in your contract when it comes to the makeup, make sure they take it all off, or else you're going to be stuck doing it yourself and you won't get that shit off your face for weeks. It was just very interesting, it, it again, it highlighted Robert Englund's entire film career, from his childhood to how he had his first big break. How Robert was doing uh, stage plays, how he got into acting, to his first uh, film role, to how he kind of got typecast in the sun. He's just playing like a like a redneck trucker guy, to eventually uh, landing on the miniseries V, which got him recognized by a lot of people, and then eventually landing him to his iconic role as Freddy Krueger. Very good, very very good. England, he's a I mean Robert England. I mean hearing from everyone talk about him, he's a professional, very nice guy. He always gives advice. Robert Engel talked about the one movie. One time he ever directed, he says he would never do it again because it's just, it's just very stressful. But he was glad he had that opportunity to do it. And that's how he met his wife. And which they're still together to this day. They interviewed her. I mean, they interviewed everybody. They interviewed Monica Kina, the leading actress girl, the final girl from Freddy vs. Jason. They talked about that. They talked about Kane Hutter. They talked about a lot of shit. I would imagine so. I mean, career spans decades. Yeah, which I, you know, I recommend, well, I recommend a Robert Englund one more so than the Albert Brooks one. Especially if you, I mean, even if you're not a friend, fan of Friday, of uh, Friday, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's still a very well-made documentary. And just really get to hear him talk about everything and how, just how cool and professional he is. I mean, he's a very smart guy. I mean, it's because he's been in the film business for so long. He, like, knows the ins and outs of everything. How in his early career he got to do this film with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jeff Bridges. Hmm. Hey. Great stuff. Yeah. I haven't 
seen this documentary, but it does seem interesting. I'm a moderate fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. There's a lot that are good about them, but there's also a lot that are left to be desired, but that could be touched upon if we ever get to reviewing those. Yep, and that's, uh, I guess I'll, I'll just leave it uh, leave it at that, some of the stuff that I've seen over. I I also saw Candy Cane Land, the Christmas film on Prime with Eddie Murphy. Hmm. Man, you know, sometimes when you watch films, you can just tell when the actor just doesn't give a shit. Like, he's not even trying. I don't know what it is with Eddie Murphy. He's been doing that for quite some time. Like, he he did the Dolomite movie on Netflix, which came out a few years back, and that was kind of like his big comeback movie. And it seemed like, okay, maybe Eddie, like, gives a shit again. Maybe he's revived. He, you know, he wants to actually put an effort in his movies. I mean, we talked about Coming to America, the sequel on here. I mean, eh. A lot of people didn't like it. I, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, eh, it was whatever. I didn't hate it. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, it's nowhere near the original. But since then, like, I, I watched the other films, and I'm like, either he's miscasted, or he just doesn't give a shit. We're talking Eddie Murphy here? Yeah. I mean, the plot for Candy, uh, what's it, Candy Cane Land, it's... Again, it's it's a neighborhood competition who has the brightest lights. I'm like, we're still doing that. Uh, we've seen how many movies I've seen with that same plot. He uh, eventually runs into this magical gift shot, which is run by that same actress. What's her name? Jillian Bell. She was the main leading bad girl in uh, the new Good Burger movie. Mm-hmm. She kind of has like that familiar face. You kind of seen her a lot of films. I, I'm not immune to her yet. I mean, not the same way I, I am to, like, a Kevin Hart, where you feel like some actors, they just get overexposed. Like, you see them everywhere to yeah. the point you just kind of want them to go away. Yeah, I was kind of heading down that same road there. I was never really impressed with Kevin Hart, to be honest. He never really made me laugh. But as far as Eddie Murphy, it's like... You could make that argument about him for the last 15 or so years, maybe even 20 years. Eddie yeah. Murphy hasn't really done much of anything merit-wise because since the 90s, he went from doing these classic comedy films of the 80s and became a family movie guy. Maybe that's it. That's just not him. Like, he can't play, like... He's not Chevy Chase. He can't He can't play, like, a suburban dad wanting to have a Christmas lights comedy. That's not him. That's not how you use Eddie Murphy. If you want to get Chevy Chase for that, fine. He would do better in that. That's a perfect vacation plot right there. I mean, yeah, that may be the case, but at this point, he's developed such a reputation with the family movies, uh, like with Nutty Professor, Doctor Doolittle, Shrek, etc. That was that was Alice's last really good run he had was like that Nutty Professor period to right around Shrek Two. Yeah. Because after that, it's just been like... What did he do? Norbit? He did Norbit? What was that one movie? A Thousand Words? Did anybody even remember that movie? Like, he, he was just Haunted doing Man. shit. He did Haunted Mansion. It was roughly it. But yeah, he, uh, all the films he's done since the Shrek era, I would say, uh, just really haven't hit that proverbial nail. This Again, he's just... This guy at 19 years old saved Saturday Night Live. That show was on the verge of cancellation. He saved that show. When you ask people who's the greatest cast member of all time, 
Majority of them will tell you Eddie Murphy. Well, he's one of them. I don't know. I mean, you also have your John Belushi and Chris Farley. Yeah, Belushi's your Farley, of course. You have all those guys, but like, Murphy's got to be in the top three. Yeah, you can argue that. But again, it just goes back to the saying. I think part of the problem was that he was hungry back then. Why Wait, would he be hungry? Of course, he was a lot. I mean, he was a lot younger. Yeah, really, he's been doing this for over forty years now. Maybe but he's just not- tired. It's not just that, though. It's just that he's not hungry. He's got it made. He's a successful actor. He's been in part of so many big-time films. Why would he have to bust his ass again? It even showed in coming to America that he doesn't really have the... He doesn't have that drive. Yeah, he, he needs, like, a break or something. I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, and Candy Kane, this film, like, was, like, two hours too long. It was such a long... It felt longer than it was. It just... It was no good. I think that's the first Christmas movie he's ever done, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think Eddie Murphy needs a break, personally. Honestly, I I would be totally okay if he just retired. Or if he went back to stand-up. Guys of his stature usually never end up back in stand-up. Like, Jim Carrey never went back to stand-up. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll put a end to that, but yeah, that's just some of the films I've seen. So, are you ready for a film discussion? Uh, I mean, this is a movie reviewing podcast. Don't have a choice out of this one. Yeah, not a long film. Pretty short movie, only 90 minutes. And the film we're talking about is Escape Room. Came out 2019, rated PG-13, directed by some guy, Adam Robitel, based on the popular... Uh, escape room game of sorts. Have you ever done escape room before? I have not, but this was something that my wife and I were talking about as soon as we started the movie. Have you noticed that there's been an influx of popularity with escape rooms lately? Yes, over the past several years, which is what led to the creation of this movie, to cash in on that. Yeah, I've wanted to do them. Uh, I know at Universal, they just opened up an escape room based on three different franchises, two of which are Jurassic Park and Back to the Future. I forgot what the third one was. But, um, yeah, I I had considered it because it looks fun. Never done it before. Just to say, hey, I did it. I probably would suck at it, but just something. But, yeah, um, this was a film I think I chose this time. Yes. I was just like, yeah, let's look, let's look, let's look. And then I just saw this film. And I'm like, okay, it's an interesting concept. If it sucks, it looks like it'll be a quick and easy one. So, I've seen this film before, I think on Stars on one of those movie channels. And, um, you know, I'm a sucker for these kind of films. It's very similar to a film like Cube. Yeah. We kind of put these characters in a small room or a small environment, and they have to figure out either why they're there or, or how they could get out. And I, I kind of like film, like simple film concepts like that. Yeah, it was pretty simple. Um, it actually wasn't that hard to remember if you really think about it. Because when you watch the film, the film starts with uh, some guy in a room and he's trying to figure out how to get the hell out of it. And the room starts to collapse, or not collapse, but like squeeze into him, like kind of like like a closing room where the walls are closing in together, kind of like in an Indiana Jones film. Yeah, similar to the ending of, uh, uh, what was it, Saw 5? 
Yeah. And you think that, oh, well, this character was somebody that went into the maze and then died or whatever, trying to give you the idea that this maze kills people. Or not maze, escape room, if you don't get out. But, and I thought that was the case. Until it goes to the opening credits, showing the, the actors and all that stuff. And then it focuses on three different characters, one of which happens to be in that scene because the events that start as the credits roll or credits are done is three days earlier. Where it focuses mostly on three characters, although when we get to the escape room, you're going to see six. Uh, one of which is the guy that you saw in the beginning. Some guy that works at some, what is it, a deli or a supermarket that or sucks. whatever. He works in the back room, yeah. He works there, and he's obviously a miserable, miserable fuck. Then you got this college student who's going through the pressures of college, 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 college. Inside joke for me and Travis that you guys wouldn't get. And then the third guy is like a businessman, a very successful businessman who does business deals and all that stuff. It doesn't seem like he has much of a personal life. There was a small scene. I think as he walked away, he said, happy Thanksgiving. He's like, I'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. So, the thing and, that's significant. Um, uh, what are you saying? I was gonna talk about the significant thing that happens to all three of them. Oh yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. But um, we get introduced to all three of these characters, and they all receive uh, a black box. That's exactly I guess, what I was gonna say. Yeah, I guess I guess that they kind of receive like these Willy Wonka S type packages. Yeah. But it's like movies. they get this box, and it's just an empty box, as they think. And all of a sudden, it starts to unravel, and I guess it opens up and gives them like an invitation or some sorts. Yeah, almost like those uh, puzzle boxes from the Hellraiser movies. Have you ever seen those? Right. So they they get these boxes, and eventually they end up in a place that it, uh, is like an escape room, where virtually, if you ex if you escape this escape room, you will be awarded ten thousand dollars. That's a, I mean, it's a lot of money, but I'm like, wait a minute, this businessman, why would he even give a shit about doing this? He probably makes more than what would suffice into this escape room. $10,000, that's probably chump change to him. The other two, I can see. But him? I don't know. But it's once they get into the quote-unquote waiting room, we're introduced to three other characters, one of which was in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, he's like this. I, 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 what was he like? A mechanic or something? Yeah, like a farm, farm mm -hmm. guy. Then you get this one girl who you find out served in Iraq. Yeah, and she's then, a Daredevil TV series for anyone that recognized her. And then the last guy is just some young Indian kid who has a fascination for escape rooms. Like this is his passion. He's the only one that has any experience doing escape rooms prior to uh, any of the other characters, and he kind of explains. Basically, he also explains to the audience what escape room is and how it works for those yeah. that that going into this film that have never done escape room before. Yeah, and basic gist of an escape room is is that you have to find clues on how to get out, and if you don't get out within the allotted time, someone comes in and then shows you the clues that you missed in order to escape. That's really it. I and this is somebody who's never done. I would like to do it one day. I think we should. So he explains the rules, but every time they go in, there's this, uh, 
what seems to be a desk clerkly that just says that the the guy will be in here shortly waiting for you so just take your seat so they sit down and they're just relaxing and then all of a sudden i forgot what triggered it well the, they, well the one guy the miserable one in the supermarket his name is ben he's like you know why you guys are in here i'm just gonna go outside for a cigarette till you tell what to do he goes to reach for the doorknob and the doorknob just breaks off but it shows a combination lock or some shit like that and then that's when the heaters go on and the indian kid in denial thinks that this is just immersion or whatever but the rest of them start to get really impatient and little by little with everything that everybody does something triggers even more heaters to go on and there's a part where the iraq woman needs a drink of water and there's actually a water fountain so the college girl gives her a glass of water and that's when she notices the scars on her neck well eventually uh one by one we eventually find out that it's the coasters that are the the puzzle solver here they have to fill the cups up with water and put them on the coasters that go down that allow this door to come up and it takes a bit but long story short they all manage to escape that room before it gets engulfed in flames which was a, a quite a shocker because usually in movies like this one of them is going to die but they all managed to escape yeah. so I thought that was a nice little twist. I like that. I, I really did like that the first room, they all escaped rather than, oh, we got to have at least one person die in here. It was it was unpredictable, but it was an unpredictable in a good sense. I thought they did well here because, yeah, that's that was just my opinion. So basically so, what we got from the first room, we need to solve whatever puzzle you're in and for an X amount of time before something bad will happen. In this case, they're basically like in a giant oven room of sorts so they end up in a cabin and i forget how they get out of the cabin but they get uh they're locked they're in a cabin there's a combination you, you have to put in a seven letter word uh, to get out. rudolph that's right yeah and that's when ben realizes rudolph and like wait how did you know that and then that's when you start realizing that these rooms are based off personal experiences what happened to each of these characters right they didn't tell each other yet because obviously they're, they're all st they're still strangers. So it's not we haven't gotten to that part where it's time to gather around a campfire and start revealing yourselves. Yeah, it's not time for the campfire song song at this point. But yeah, so they leave the cabin and now they're in a room where it's all snow and, and trees and all that. And so now they just went from an oven to a cold room, like an ice box. Yeah, almost like a, a cabin somewhere in Alaska. So as they're looking around, now keep in mind, as they're walking, sometimes the the ice underneath them will shatter a bit. Kind of like in that level of Batman Arkham City, when you're climbing, walking over the ice, you have to be very careful or the shark will come and fucking eat you. So um, the college girl walks around and sees a, a bear, a stuffed bear with something in its throat. And it's this little magnet. Because while all that's going on, they're trying to fish for something in this hole, and there's only one jacket that they all have to share. Well, with the magnet, 
they were able to grab a box that has a key in it, but it's all ice. So they got to melt the key. So what happened was they were going to try and melt the ice with uh, the depressed kid's lighter because he was smoking a cigarette. Well, the kid was being fucking a dick at the time, so he just rolled the, the lighter. And that's when the Indian kid, who's very experienced at these games, went to grab the lighter. And somehow, some way, the whole entire thing collapsed underneath them, and he ended up drowning underneath the, the water. So the Indian kid dies here. And, and, he, and he had the lighter on him, too, so there goes that as well. Right. So now the only way that they're going to be able to melt the ice is they got to use their hands and it's yeah the hands or whatever body heat they could all create together. So basically they had to gather around in a small circle to melt the ice so they could get to the key. So that's what happened. And what was the next room after this one? Well, the billiards room, the bit the bar. Oh, okay, so that was the next room, but it was upside down. Yes. So, but here's the key. The floor that's underneath them as time goes on, because they're playing that, that going down, down, down. Uh, uh, downtown from uh, Petulia Clark. Me and uh, Anna sang that song to you on the uh, trip. When you're alone, when life is making you lonely. Wait, you when did you I don't remember you singing that to me. I know it was in the 2K17 commercial. Anyways, um, so they're in this room, and the floor will constantly, like, break a board off, and it leads to, like, this never-ending pit. But meanwhile, there is a key that's somewhere where the army girl, she is there and needs to get the combination. But they need to figure out the combination, and to figure out the combination, there's one of those puzzles that the college girl has to solve, and for her to solve it, once the puzzle's together, they have to decipher the billiard balls. And while that's going on, they're all on these like ledges trying to hold on for dear life so that they don't fall. And the key virtually is an eight ball. Now, to make a long story short, after they uh, solve the puzzle, they ask for the combination. It still doesn't work, but realizing since the floor is upside down that the combination is backwards. So that's what happens. They get the combination girls gets the, the the army girl gets the eight ball and as she's trying to climb because keep in mind the billiards table for her to put the key up is upside down she's got to climb up and do all this crazy stuff but while she's doing it she drops the eight ball on the one piece of plank floor that's still there she jumps down throws it up and decides to sacrifice her well not sacrifice herself she tries to hold on to the telephone cord that was hanging and she basically said fuck it i'm done and she dropped to her death. <sighs> so then we get into the next room, which was like a hospital room. Yeah, like a surgery room. Yeah, operation, this, I guess. This is where we figure out all these characters and what they have in common. And the main thing they have in common, I think I'll let you take over as it's specifically each story. But the common denominator is they all were a part of catastrophic events where they were the only survivors. Yeah, that's a big theme was survival. Uh, the main girl, Zoe, survived a plane crash. Ben survived a, uh, a drunk accident, car accident that he caused. Uh, Jason, uh, his story, at first, he claims that he was stuck on a ice, on like a small ice thing between him and his friend. And his friend basically swam because he, he, was, he started seeing shit. He swam for help and eventually drowned. So the theme here is she was plane crash, so heights, 
which is what that bill the bill um the bar room thing was it was based on her basically ben was car accident i'm not sure what his was based on um jason the ice which was the uh the one room where the smart kid died uh yeah. i'm not sure what the uh the character mike the dale and tucker and dale guy i'm not sure what his was i can't remember yeah and and the smart kid smart kid i'm not sure because he died so we never got to know about him and the girl she um she's a uh, survival of um she's a soldier she suffers what the hell do they call that war uh war syndrome oh ptsd ptsd yes because there was a scene when she was climbing in the um uh she started freaking out when she was escaping the first room right well but they did it's stupid events i guess i guess she kinda, she's kind of claustrophobic she, they did pull out a paper for the smart kid and realized that he had survived some sort of catastrophic event by himself well so this room is peculiar because they've only got five minutes to find out uh what was it a combination of some sorts otherwise the tank was going to go off and poison them but the way that they had to do it was they had to put themselves in a heart monitor and at first they thought they had to go high. So the businessman told the guy that played Tucker and Dale versus evil that your heart rate is up. I got to use this. Uh, what do they call it? The, to shock somebody to get them resuscitated back to life. Yeah. The clear things. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, I got to do this and, and you, you got to save us. The guy's afraid because he's going to suffer a heart attack. While all that's going on, the college girl is like destroying all the ca the cameras that are watching them because she's just sick and tired of being watched like a fucking puppy. So she's destroying that. So the businessman uses the resuscitator and gives the man a heart attack and he dies and it still fails. Come to realize is that the heart rate is not supposed to go as up as possible. It's supposed to go as down as possible. That's when he puts the combination on himself and then that's when it clears and then the door opens. But meanwhile, the five minutes is up and the poison is released. So businessman comes through, but the depressed kid wants to bring the college girl with him. And she's just like, just go on, just go on. And then the depressed kid goes on and I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. Hold on a second. This college girl, she's a representation of the female character that always survives these horror films. She's a virgin. She's a, a, a wholesome girl. She's just she's a the final girl. Yeah. She's always the final girl, and yet she's the second to last person to die, quote unquote. It was really strange, but we'll get to that. But oh, I just it just hit me. That's right. He survived um, the Tuck, Tucker and Dale guy. He survived a, a mine crash. Okay. A, a mine cave-in. That's right. Yes, he did say that. It was explained. And, Danny, and, they, and they just explained, Danny, he survived uh, when his family died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Right, okay. And so anyway, she survived a, uh, a bomb blast, an IED blast, whatever. Right. So the last room, it's just the businessman and the depressed kid. And they're in this room where they got hit with a hallucinogenic drug. And now they're all suffering delirium. But yeah, it looks like they're in like a 90s MTV music video. Yeah, and there's only an antidote for one person. But it was in this room where the depressed kid realized the businessman lied about his story. Yeah, he knew there was something off about his story. And it turned out that the businessman killed the other guy that was on the ice, the little iceberg with him, just so he could survive. 
and took his jacket and all that stuff. Yeah, took the same red jacket that we saw earlier. Yeah. So then they fight over the antidote. The press kid wins. He injects himself with the antidote, and the businessman dies. That's when the depressed kid walks into the final room, and from the first scene that we had seen, we were thinking, oh, this is where he dies. No, he actually escapes. He actually gets out, because it looked like from the first scene, he dies and he gets killed. But he actually makes it out, which, to be honest, I was glad, because when I saw that first scene and saw his face, I thought they did a very good job of making me feel bad for him. And so when I saw this, I'm like, damn, I really feel bad for him now. He's going to die, but he actually made it out. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is where I think the film kind of took a nosedive for me. So he gets out, and then this weird guy comes in. And it's got this screen with all the contestants. And that's when he reveals that this whole game was, you all were lucky to survive your accident. Now I want to see who's the luckiest of them all. So in a, another room, the, the, the hospital room, they're about to clean up the bodies. But come to find out they saw a gas mask. That's when the college girl attacks them, realizing she didn't die. She used a gas mask to protect herself from the poison. So this guy... The, the, the game master you're talking about game master or whatever what was his fucking motives again i don't even remember he, um he basically said look you know they do this every year and every year they have like a different theme like uh, co uh college athletes uh savants and he said this year it was going to be i think the theme was survival mm -hmm. and they're going to collect basically people who have survived major uh accidents mm hmm and that's how they got these six people that they did. And he mentioned, you know, he talked about, you know, humans from the beginning of time have always used games or things that, like, entertain themselves. And basically, it's, we're some shit like that. Yeah. And so, somehow, way, it ends up with this game master trying to strangle the depressed kid, trying to kill him, but... The girl, the college girl, comes in and makes the rescue. And long story short, they shoot the headmaster dead, and they escape. Well, when they go to the hospital, this guy, uh, the cop, brings her to the place where all this went down, and everything's different. Who everything's gone. Yeah. Who's the Asian doctor? Because th this is something we didn't touch up on. There was a constant reference of this Asian doctor, Doctor Wu. Doctor Wu Tang Yu. Wu-Tang Yu, not Wu-Tang Clan, but Wu-Tang Yu, not Wu-Ham Flu. Yeah, somewhere there's some sort of connection with him in this whole thing. Because they, his name was mentioned in the first um, room because his name was all over the magazines mailed to him. And, of course, there was a video in the hospital room mentioning that guy. And that's when she started piecing everything together that there's something going on here. They clean this whole thing up. So fast forward six months later, college girl depressed. Oh, it turned out Wu Tang Yu was just uh, scrambled words for no way out. Mm-hmm. So the six months later, we got the college girl and the press kid. Now they're in better positions in life. They clean themselves up and all that. However, the college girl is not satisfied. She wants to put an end to this whole game shit. And the press kid's like, 
no, I want to put this in my past. College girls like, no, we got to stop this. Eventually, depressed kid agrees. And then the final scene of the film is there's like a weird plane crash that's about to happen. And these two are trying to solve a puzzle. And they get into the cockpit, this and the other. But you come to realize it's a virtual reality to test this whole thing because they know that these two are coming. So they want to test it out to see if they can uh, crash the plane, I guess. And that's how the film ends. I was fine with this movie up until the headmaster reveal. Once the headmaster reveal happened, I'm like, this got way too corny. Um, eh, it was whatever. I mean, I, I mean, I liked the movie. The ending was, you know, was what it was. Yeah, the game master scene. I said game master. Game master <laughs> scene was a little out of place of sorts. Like why? Like why would he want to kill Ben after he survived all that? Yeah, they never really went into his backstory either, and if this guy was even part of it, or if he was just a pawn. It seemed like he was just a pawn. At least he was in charge of, I guess, of the Chicago division of the of the escape room. Now they got to go to Manhattan. I guess that they found another center there, so they think that's where this is all happening. And a puzzle maker knew they're gonna come. Like, how powerful are these people? And how the hell did they get rid of everything so fast once um, these two escaped that building? Well, see, when all that took place, I thought it was going to be like, oh, kind of like in Blair Witch 2, where she just made all that up in her head because I'm thinking maybe she went psychotic or some shit. I actually would have been okay. That's the ending I would have been okay with. Like, after she unscrambled, like, the Wu-Tang Yu for No Way Out, and then when it faded to black, I thought that should have been the ending. And then fade to credits. But then we had the scene where she wants to go out to like, ah, whatever. Yeah, it, it only gave them an excuse to make a sequel, which technically they have a reason because this film uh, was budgeted at $9 million and made 155 in the box office. So it, it was very successful. Yeah. Um, but up until the reveal, I, I was enjoying this film. I had no qualms with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but once the reveal happened, then it was just like, eh. Like, the first Cube movie didn't really have a reveal. Which, to be fair, if you didn't like that, I have no problem with you not liking that. But I think the Cube movies, the first one at least, benefited from not having the reveal. Because it kind of gave the people who created that whole Cube a more mystery feeling. Like, there's a higher power somewhere. Yeah, less uh, is more. Not that this didn't have to have it, but you could have still had the whole them cleaning the shit up and all that stuff. But I don't know. It, the reveal just seemed very odd. Yeah, they could have done more with it. Or at least more, more exposition with it. Maybe, or maybe they may have done too much exposition with it. It just it just didn't really go anywhere. It just kind of fell out of place. Who knows? But it was, it was fine. This was okay. It was an okay film. This was fine. Actually, I actually recommend it. A, a, a film, I wouldn't say, if it was in theaters, I wouldn't say see it in theaters, but definitely like a rented kind of movie. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just that the ending kind of falls flat. It's a movie that don't expect a solid ending for your troubles of going through an hour and 20 minutes of the actual expedition of them going through the escape room and then expecting a very satisfactory conclusion. Mm -hmm. it's, just don't expect that. It, the only satisfactory is that the two characters, it, it wasn't just the college girl, at least the depressed kid got out too. 
Yeah. I didn't like the characters in this. Yeah. And it didn't go with the trope of just letting the college girl live. It let the depressed kid live. It, it followed that cabin in the woods uh, trope where not only did the quote-unquote virgin one, but the, the stoner one. And the stoner was the most likable character of the group. So it's like, I was glad they went with that. Because, you know, all these films, only the virgin's allowed to live. And it's got to be a female. Unless you're evil dead, then Bruce Campbell has to survive. Yeah, this film was successful enough. It did spawn a sequel, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. Uh, we'll definitely review that whenever whenever we find that available. Of it. But overall, where are your thumbs with this one? Thumbs in the middle. Solid thumbs in the middle. Solid thumbs in the middle. Yeah, my, my thumbs middle, slightly up. No, that's, I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah, can't go any better than that. So a successful film from Columbia Pictures and Screen Gems. And we'll definitely see more of The Escape Room whenever we get to that sequel. It's currently the first, this film is currently streaming on Hulu. For those that want to check it out, we do recommend it. Yeah. Take a look. See if you like it. Yeah. And if there is an escape room in your area, I recommend you uh, attend one and see if you can survive. I I have done escape room in the past. I've only done it once and I beat it. Oh, now you're gonna brag? No, because then I'm gonna get kidnapped, and now I can, then they're gonna put me in a situation where it's life or death. Well, it's nice knowing you. Yeah, and th- that's that's another thing with this film. They didn't go too too saw with it. Yeah, this film would have really gone downhill if they went too saw with it. Like I would have been okay if they cut out the whole game master part. With that one guy, the guy with the glasses, like they just escape and then they go straight to the hospital and then she, you know, the cops and then they go back to the building and then there's nothing there. There's no proof of anything that just happened. And then they all kind of look at her like she's crazy. And then that's the end of the movie. Yeah, you could still get your sequel out of it. Mm hmm. So like like the sequel, you could have done it in a different city, maybe New York or something. New characters, same thing. Same scenario happens where, you know, uh, she tries to prove to the cops, she or he, whoever escapes, tries to prove to the cops that this thing happened. No proof of it. And then that's when eventually she meets up with the other girl. The other girl comes back and says, you know, I read your story in the paper and I'm here to tell you, you know. She's like, you know, no one believes me. She says, I believe you because I was one of the survivors. Boom, that leads up to a third film. Right. That's how I would have done it, but. Well, we'll have to see the second film and see where they went with it. Yep. Well, eventually we'll get to that second movie. So, uh, but yeah, I had fun with Escape Room. Fun movie. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. And with that said, that's going to do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls. Guys, thanks for listening. For Terminator Travis, I'm Monoxide. We'll see you next time.